Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Uh, we have something practical here because you see that word wherefore. Uh, that is telling us there's something of application here. We've met this already before. Uh, you remember at chapter 2 verse 1, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed. Well here at the start of chapter 3 we have a call to consider. Wherefore holy brethren consider the apostle and high priest of our profession. So the apostle is actually throwing out here his first imperative, this command. And there are three things in this text that I leave with you. First of all, the people that are called to consider. And then secondly, the particular word that the apostle uses to call them to do that, consider. And then thirdly, the person that they are called to consider, the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. But first of all, the people who receive this holy command of the apostle, and they're called two things. First of all, holy brethren, and then partakers of the heavenly calling. So whenever he uses these expressions of the people that he's addressing, he's addressing Christians. He's addressing a Christian congregation because I remind you, this is a kind of a homily. It's like a sermon that has been written out as it's been preached. And of course that sermon was preached to a Christian congregation. And this epistle has been sent to Christian congregations and they're being addressed as believers professing Christians, members of the visible body of Jesus Christ, holy brethren and partakers of the call of heaven itself. So he's addressing the wheat. But of course among the wheat, as in every church meeting, there are terrors. There are unbelievers or there are those who maybe profess but they don't possess and maybe they're not true believers. So you get a mixture. But he is addressing a Christian congregation. And all the members of that congregation will have these designations. And they're called, first of all, holy brethren. Now, brethren is a word that often occurs in the Bible to describe God's people. Because Christians are a family. They belong to the family of God. And the best way of expressing that is to call them brethren. They have this relationship, this family connection. And they have a heavenly father in heaven and they have an elder brother, Jesus Christ. You remember the Apostle Paul, he's already been telling us this, that Christ was incarnate for his brethren. He became the saviour to save his brethren. In chapter 2 verse 11. He that sanctifieth and they that are sanctified are all of one. He is not ashamed to call them brethren. And then it says in verse 17 of chapter 2. He was made like unto his brethren. 
Now the apostle is calling them that. You're the brethren. Holy brethren. The ones that Christ become incarnate for. The ones that Christ was made like unto. That he would die for you. It's you. Brethren. So he's, he's reminding them that they're the family of God. They're the ones that Christ has died for. And so this address is to those very brethren themselves. He's really trying to appeal to, to their affections, isn't he? He's trying to remind them of their relationship to Jesus Christ and of his love for them. So he, he's, he's reminding them of that. We're all brethren. We're all the brethren of Christ. So you ought to consider him. It ought to be easy for you to consider him because we're his brethren. You ought to want to consider him because you're his brethren and we're brethren one of another. And so this should be an easy thing for us. This should be something that we want to do to consider Christ. Now whenever he says brethren, you do know that he's not excluding females. The Bible doesn't say brethren and sisters. It's brief and to the point. It doesn't multiply words. But it is including in that term the females as well. All of whatever sex in, in, is in this designation. It's brethren in the Lord. We're all brethren and sisters in Jesus Christ. But notice he doesn't just say brethren. He's spoken about brethren in chapter 2. But he introduces another word here. To describe these brethren, he says, holy. You're holy brethren. And we have to remember that too. He had indicated it in chapter 2 verse 11. He that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. And therefore he's not ashamed to call them brethren. So they're sanctified. Christ is sanctified, the elder brother. And his brethren who believe in him are sanctified as well. So he has hinted at it. This sanctification, this being set apart, this holiness. But now he brings the word in itself and he calls them holy brethren. So you're set apart. He set you apart himself. You're very special to him. You're sanctified. You have the word of God working in your heart. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. And, and therefore, you ought to want to consider him. So he, he's provoking us to consider Christ. It's the Lord Jesus who set us apart. It's the Lord Jesus who has made us to be having something of holiness. And so he's encouraging us to consider Christ. You ought to. You're his holy brethren. If you don't consider him, who else is going to consider him? If you don't have a love for him, the holy brethren, if you don't have a love for Jesus, who else is going to have a love for Jesus? So you holy brethren, especially, it should be something that you want to do. To consider him. So you see how he's, he's drawing them in. To this duty. By the name that he gives them. And then he gives them another name. Partakers. Of the heavenly calling. Here's something else. That you believers ought to know. That you have. In this dear saviour Jesus Christ. Partakers. Of heaven's calling. Now this word partakers. Is a word that the apostle likes. And he uses it a number of times in this epistle uh, to the Hebrews. Christians are partners. We're not only brethren, but we're partners together in participation of something, 
in communion, in receiving something, in fellowshipping with something. So we're not just brethren, but we have fellowship. We're brethren that have fellowship. We're brethren that partake together of something very special. We're not separated brethren. We're not brethren fighting and arguing among ourselves. We're not brethren hating one another. At least we ought not to be. But we're brethren who are partakers together of something that unites us. Something that makes us common. Something that makes us one. Partakers. So this is a, a fellowship a participation together of Christ. Remember in chapter 1, verse 9, whenever the apostle, quoting from the Psalms, is addressing Christ, Thou hast loved righteousness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. So the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, is anointed with the Holy Spirit, with the oil of gladness, and he's above his fellows. And you see those fellows? That's the holy brethren who partake of the heavenly calling. Those who have fellowship with Christ. His partners. We're not just brethren. We're partners with Jesus Christ. We're the fellows of Christ. Participating together with him. Of something that is very special. That is heavenly. So there's this participation. This partaking. And what is it that. Christians partake of. Well he says. The heavenly calling. So there's this table of grace. That's a good image of participation. Whenever you are at a table. You eat the food. You partake of the meal. The gospel oftentimes is pictured like a meal. God's grace has brought us salvation. God's grace has made a great feast for us. Of salvation. And we can all sit down together. And partake of salvation the feast of salvation, the gospel feast, it's a bit like this. There's this gospel meal that the elder brother has set up for us. It's been provided by Christ. And he sits at the head of the table. And we're all called to the table to partake of him and his salvation. He's brought us to himself. He's brought us to his grace. He's brought us to the provision of the gospel. He's brought us to the forgiveness of sins. This heavenly calling. Called to partake. Called to eat as it were and drink the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And to have this salvation. We're called to communion. To participation. And you see what he's saying here. You've been called. You have this holy calling. You're partaking of this, this wonderful grace of God. You ought to want to consider him. How is it that you can't consider him? You're a partaker of his grace. He's brought you to the table. He, he's given you his salvation. He's made you his brethren. Why can you not consider him? Why do you not want to consider him? So he's drawing us in. He's encouraging us. He's saying you should want to do what I'm going to call to you to do now. To consider him. So it, it would be ungrateful of us if we didn't obey this call it would be a dishonor to our dear Lord Jesus Christ if we didn't want to spend the time or if we didn't want to make the effort to obey this just to consider Christ that would be an unkindness he's your brother he's made you holy brethren 
He's brought you to this table of grace to partake of it, this table from heaven itself. It would be an unkindness not to consider him. So consider him. Think about what he's done for you. Think about who you are. So that's why he uses these names to describe them, to encourage them to consider Christ. And brethren and sisters, it ought to be a great encouragement. We should not find it difficult to spend time just to think about the Lord Jesus. We shouldn't find it difficult to come out and hear a sermon about our Saviour. We shouldn't find it hard to spend an hour just now and again, especially on his day, to consider him. Because he's made us his brethren and he's made us to have this fellowship, this communion together. He has done great things for us. And therefore, let us hear the call to consider him. Secondly then, the particular word here that the apostle uses, consider. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession. Now the English word consider occurs, I think, four times in the epistle to the Hebrews. However, this particular Greek word here, behind this word consider, it is only twice used here in verse 1 or text, but also in chapter 10, verse 24. It says, let us consider one another. Now in chapter 3, it's let us consider Christ, consider him. But then in chapter 10, he's come on to this, let us consider one another, not just Christ, but one another, each other as well, to provoke unto love and to good works. And you see in these, this call, consider in both these verses, that's a good summary of Christian duty. First of all, consider Christ. And then after that and following that, consider one another. That's the right and the proper order. First Christ and then our fellow saints. First duty to the Lord the Lord Jesus, and then duty to each other of our brethren. Both these duties are important. Both these duties are essential. You cannot do one and neglect the other. You cannot be taken up with Christ and neglect the saints. And You can't be taken up with the saints and be neglecting Christ. No, they go hand in hand. You have to be taken up with both in their proper order, Christ and then, then each other. You see, we, we can't be we independent Christians just living our own wee Christian life and forget about the church and forget about other Christians. You, you can't do that. That's not what a Christian does. A Christian considers Christ and then also considers one another. Brethren. We're brethren, you see. We're not independents off on our own. No, we're all brethren. We all are connected. So the consideration of Christ, however, is the foundation. It's first. The consideration of Christ and then this consideration of our our brethren. But I'm not speaking about the second consideration tonight, of course. I'm speaking about the first consideration, the consideration of Christ. But this word means to observe carefully, to spend some time on this, to be attentive about this matter. It gives the idea of fixing your eyes carefully upon something <laughs> and looking at it and considering it like a big painting that you would see in an art gallery. You don't just you know, walk past and have a wee glance. No, you, you consider it. You study it. You stir at it. You look at it from every angle. and You look at every aspect of it. 
You're carefully weighing it up, carefully thinking about it, carefully considering it, carefully meditating upon it, giving it consideration with our physical eyes. That's what you do with a, a painting, something physical. But of course, consider Christ. You, you can't do that with your physical eyes. You, you're doing it with your mental eyes, with the eyes of your soul and of your heart. It's looking at the word and at the text, considering Christ. Keep your gaze on him. Keep your thoughts fixed upon him. Always be thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, that means that you have to give serious uh, mental labor to this and some time to it as well. Uh, maybe you need a quiet place or not always, but you can come to church and that's what we do every week. We're, we're, we're considering Christ. We're, that's what we're doing in actual fact now. We're considering him. We're spending time and we're just directing our thoughts to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this word consider, the Lord Jesus liked to use it. And you'll find it in the Gospels. For example, he said, consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't gather into barns. And yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than ravens? So you see what the Lord is saying when he uses this word? It's not just consider the ravens. Oh, the, the nice ravens. Oh, those wonderful ravens. No, it's in order to something practical. So that you'll be encouraged. So that you'll, oh, the, look how the Lord looks after the ravens. How the Lord feeds the ravens. How the Lord loves the ravens. Consider the ravens. Hey, he must love me. If he loves the black ravens, he loves his people that he redeemed with Christ's blood. So it's a consideration in order to be led into something blessed. Something deep, something comforting, something encouraging. You remember how he said, consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I said unto you that Solomon and all his, his glory was not arrayed like one of these lilies. So consider the lilies, how, how beautiful they are. And how the Lord has made them so beautiful. And if he's made the lilies so beautiful, what's he going to do to his people? What's he going to do to Christians? What's he going to do to you? So it's a careful consideration of something to come to something deep, something encouraging about God, something practical in your life that will lead you on in a holy walk with God. Consider Christ. So it's a consideration that leads to a change. A change in the person who's doing the considering. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ used that. You consider the ravens and you'll be changed in your heart and life. And whenever we consider Christ, that's what's happening. The Holy Spirit is changing us. We mightn't perceive it as very great, as something, you know, mighty. No, it might be just bit by bit, tiny bit by tiny bit. But every time we consider Christ, there's something blessed happening. There's a change taking place. There's something good. So consider him. Consider him and you'll be encouraged. Consider him and you'll be stirred up. Now I remind you that these Hebrews had trials and afflictions. That's something that stands out very evidently when you read through this epistle. They were persecuted. They were getting a hard time. They were thinking of going back. They were thinking of stopping going to the meetings and things like that. They were being tested. They were being tried and it was easy for them uh, to be tempted and to say, oh, I'm taking the easy path out of this. I'm tired of this opposition. I'm tired of this hard Christian life. I don't want to go down that difficult path. I'll take the easy path. 
I'll take the path of compromise. I'll take the path that will lead away from all the hardship and all the trials and all the troubles. This being a Christian is so difficult. So it's easy to turn away from the profession. It's easy to stop being seen going to church. Oh, they're giving people a hard time who go to church. So I'll stop going to church. Remember they were forsaking the assembling of themselves together? Why do you think they were doing that? Because it was making them stand out as different. Oh, there's the Christians. There they're going to the gospel meeting. So that was hard. And maybe some were saying, oh, I don't want to be seen going to church. I get a hard time from my neighbors. And there were these things that take the easy path. And that's why he goes on in chapter 10 to say, let us hold fast our profession of faith without wavering. For he's faithful to that promise. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. And so they needed to consider the one who was faithful. The one who didn't take the easy path. This is the whole context in which the apostle brings us in. The merciful and faithful high priest, who didn't turn back, who suffered, who was tempted like as we are tempted, But he didn't turn back. He didn't say, oh, that cross is too hard. He was tempted to think like that. He was tempted to, as it were, go back as we all would be because a cross is hard. We don't like the cross. It's painful. And so there was a pressure on the Lord. No doubt there was. But he was faithful. He didn't go back. He didn't stop going down the hard path. He held fast. The will of God for him. And though he was tempted. He didn't give in. And he's able to succor us that are tempted. Because he knows we want to give in. He knows we want to go down the easy path. He knows we don't want to suffer. He knows we don't want to be crucified. He knows we don't want to be whipped and scourged. He knows that. He knows what that feels like. And he's able to help us and to succor. But you have to consider him who endured the contradiction of sinners himself, who went on through. So that's the context in which the apostle is saying that. He was tested too. He was tempted to take the easy path. But he was faithful. You see there in verse 2, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as Moses was faithful. And then he goes on to talk about the faithfulness of Moses. But what's in the back of the mind of the apostle is the faithfulness of Christ didn't take the easy path because he was faithful. So you consider him. Maybe you're getting it hard. Maybe you're saying, oh, I don't like this being persecuted at the workplace. I I don't like this being opposed because of the gospel. And I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to slacken off. No, 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 don't. Consider him. Your holy brethren, you have this holy calling. Consider him who was faithful. Consider him who didn't go back. And so that's the context in which, in which the apostle is bringing this in. He was made like unto his brethren in all things. Even in this, facing this temptation to not go down the difficult path. But thank God he did. He didn't turn back. He, he kept his face as a flint. He says, nevertheless, Father, thy will be done. I'll go on. It's very hard, Father. Uh, if it were possible, I would that this cup were passed from me, but thy will be done, and I'll be faithful to the end. And he was. He was. 
And it's in that faithfulness and through that faithfulness that we're saved and have our wonderful salvation. But what I'm saying is, he knows that it's hard. He knows that we want to run away. He knows that we want to give in. Not because he would give in, but because he knows what the temptation is like. And he can help us. And he can succor us. But it is in the way of thinking about him. And meditating upon him. And considering him. As we're doing tonight. So there's this word consider then. A very important word. And then the last thing. Is the description of the one that they are called to consider. The apostle and high priest of our profession. Christ Jesus. Now here we have a new title for Christ in this epistle. Apostle. He is the apostle. And Paul is combining that with the one that he's already just mentioned and is still in his mind and it never really leaves his mind throughout this whole epistle. High priest. He's not only high priest, but he's apostle and high priest. And this is the only time in the New Testament that the Lord Jesus is called apostle. It's a very important name for Christ. An apostle was one who was called and appointed by Christ to be a witness to and for Christ. And it was a very special office. There are no apostles today, you know. This is a very special office. You could only be an apostle if you were called by Christ to that office. And you could only be an apostle if you were a witness of his resurrection. So both of these things had to be true. You had to have met the risen Christ and you had to have a calling to be an apostle. And where those two things come together, you have the apostolic office. And there are no apostles today because none of us are witnesses of the risen Christ. We've never seen the risen Lord literally. We only see him by faith. Today we don't have apostles. We only have pastors and teachers and elders and ministers. There's no one who's an eyewitness today of the risen Christ. And the first apostles, they're dead and they're buried and their apostolic ministry among us has, has ceased. Uh, we have their writings, the words of Christ to us through their pen, but they're not living apostles to us. They're not ministering to us. They're not having that office now in a practical way to us 2,000 years later on the earth in the Christian church. But Christ has that office. He's the living apostle. He's the living witness who today is speaking to us and witnessing to us and ministering to us by his Holy Spirit. He is the one who was sent from God to be the prophet to us, to teach us, to come to our understanding, to give us the light of the glorious gospel. He is the sent one who is still the living one. And who is still as much an apostle to us today. As much as he is a high priest to us today. He's an apostle to us now. The only apostle to us now. The only witness for God to us now. By his living Holy Spirit. So what Paul here is doing. He's telling us about Christ. His prophetic office. Apostle. He's telling us about his priestly function. High priest. And he's kind of bringing the both of them together. He's summarizing chapter 1 and chapter 2. 
Because you remember the start of chapter 1, God has spoke unto us by the prophets, but now he spoke to us by his son. He's the apostle. He's the one who's speaking to us now, the son of God. And then at the end of chapter 2, our merciful and faithful high priest. So he's summarizing that whole chapter 1 and chapter 2, and he's saying, consider that 1 and chapter 1 and chapter 2, the apostle, the start of chapter 1, the high priest, at the end of chapter 2, consider that Christ that I've been telling you about. Apostle and high priest. Think about him. Put your thoughts upon him. The apostle is the New Testament prophet sent from God to speak the word. From God to men. That's what an apostle is. And he is the one who comes to God to us. But the high priest He's the one that comes from us to God. So he comes from God to us as apostle, but he brings us to God as high priest. And so he's thinking about that relationship that we have with God because our apostle has come to us and as our high priest he's brought us also unto God. So he's bringing these offices together and he goes on to say this Christ that is one with God equal to God who bring us light to give us understanding has also come to bring us to God through his death and resurrection and then he goes on to tell us how, how that apostle is even greater than Moses Moses the prophet but he's also high priest and we are to consider him so the apostle is manward and the high priest is, is Godward what does he say there at the end of chapter 2 verse 7 high priest in things pertaining to God in Godward work to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Because that's what the high priest does. He represents us. He, he takes our sins. He comes before God and he propitiates God by the sacrifice and the offering and he brings us near to God. So there's this Godward work. He works both ways. And we couldn't be saved otherwise. He had to come from God and he had to bring us to God. And as apostle and high priest he does that. He makes this propitiation for sin. So, so this is the Christ we profess. The apostle and high priest of our profession. Why are we to consider him? Why are we to consider him as the living one? The apostle, the high priest. And the answer is because that's what we trust in him as. That's what we profess him to be. He's the only one. The only saviour. The only redeemer. The only one who came from heaven. The only one who gave us this heavenly calling. The only one who has made us his brethren in his grace. The only one who can bring us to God. In this everlasting salvation. The only one who propitiates and atones. There is none other. And you child of God. Don't you ever forget considering him. Because he means so much to you. And he's done so much for you. And if you want to be saved. That's the only way you can be saved. In a consideration of Christ. Believing in him. Trusting in him. And if you want to be comforted and assured. That's the only way to be comforted and assured. By considering this Christ. By thinking upon him. Not by looking into your heart. Not by examining your fruit. But by considering Christ. You have to consider him. For comfort. 
You have to consider him for salvation. You have to consider him for assurance. If you want to be holier, if you want to be more godly, it's not by self-effort that you become holier and more godly. It's by considering him. If you want to be a holier Christian, consider him. Think upon him. This is the only path to it. If you want to be faithful and stable, if you want to be assured that you're not going to go back, that you're going to continue on following the Lord, the path to it is to consider him. Keep on considering Christ. Never cease. Never stop. And you'll be faithful to the end in this perpetual considering of him. Oh, how it has been encouraging for us many times. Maybe the devil gives you a hard time and maybe you think you're a poor believer and you've let the Lord down so much and you're discouraged and then you just think of the cross and you think of a verse of scripture such as the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. All sin. Every sin. Imagine that. Every sin the blood washes us from every sin. Oh, consider him. And you'll be so comforted. So you see why the apostle calls us to this duty. And may you have the grace to often obey it and to carry out this command to meditate upon the Lord Jesus.